Welcome to the Running For Real podcast, where each week we bring you a conversation designed to help you create positive change in your life, community and planet. It's a collective of conversations about running, the climate emergency and social justice. Running For Real is for the brave, for those with courage and vulnerability. United by our love of running, we're driving momentum towards some of the really tough challenges we're facing as humanity. So come join me, Tina Muir, and let's get started. Hello, my friends. Welcome to this bonus episode of the Running For Real podcast. If you are a first time listener because you are a fan of my guest today, welcome to the show. I hope you enjoy this. And if you are a runner, you definitely better be sticking around in the future. Uh, But if you are not, maybe, well, I'm not going to say this can convince you because this is definitely not an episode focused on convincing people to run but you may enjoy yourself. So I hope you do stick around. For those loyal listeners, thank you so much for joining me today. I am very excited about this episode today. And I don't really know how to describe it going into this because it was just this totally random, just, I don't know, worlds colliding event, I want to say, that happened. And all because someone tweeted at both of us, which you will soon find out. I had no idea who my guest was. He had no idea who I was, which is not really surprising. Um, And we just had the most beautiful conversation. Honestly, this podcast episode was one of my top five ever interviews. I loved every second. I learned so much and... I came out of it feeling refreshed, feeling excited, feeling hopeful and optimistic. And it was just, it was just beautiful. I mean, it, uh, that word may be sticking in mind because my guest, I guess I should say his name, Chris Gethard, is on the show today. And he hosts a podcast called Beautiful Anonymous. And it has been wildly popular. And I, maybe that word, why that word is sticking in my mind, but it really does feel that way. It was a beautiful conversation. And Chris and I are actually talking about ways to work together in the future now because of how powerful this was. Um, you are going to get to know him if you do not know him already. Um, but he is uh, a well-known comedian and actor. He hosted a show called The Chris Gethard Show. Um, and it was, you know, widely known. I have a lot of people who are big fans of his. And yeah, we're going to dive into this story. I did very little research, as you're going to find out, but it just, yeah, just got to get into it. That is all I can really say. So I just want to tell you for a moment about one of our sponsors today before we get into the episode, and that is Koala Clip. So I have been using Koala Clip for many years now. Um, I was a little bit skeptical at first um, because I wasn't sure really how this was going to work, but basically Koala Clip is a little pouch that this is for women or I guess men you can use it on your waistband but for women you can put your phone into this little pouch it's also got a a little key slot as well Um, and you can just clip it onto the back of your sports bra so then you can go for a run it does not bounce it doesn't move it is really comfortable like forget it is there comfortable Um, I don't notice it while I'm using it it is sweat resistant which with summer coming is an important factor Um, but you know, that part of our body gets sweaty at any time of the year. 
Um, and they have a 90 day money back guarantee. If you're not happy with it, you can try it, sweat in it. And if you don't like it, they will refund you. No questions asked. You can exchange it if you prefer. But I have been using Koala Clip for many years now. It is one of my absolutely necessary products that I've been using. Uh, the founder, Christina, is also a friend of mine. And I've been really excited to see how much this has grown. Um, because she's worked really hard and uh, it's just been really cool to to see it grow. So Koala Clip is something that I've been using. I have about maybe five or six of these um, and it's just a, a wonderful product to be able to use. So for my listeners, you can actually get uh, 10% off your order by using code running for real. That's the number four, running for real to get 10% off your order. Uh, I would suggest getting a few. I've bought many people these as gifts because they are just so handy. They're a great runner gift and you are also supporting a female owned small business. So it is a really great thing to have if you want to carry your phone with you without having to hold it into your hand. Also, it's close to the headphones. That's another thing I love. So yeah, just go check out Koala Clip. You can go to koalaclip.com. Uh, to get find out more, to go check your favorite color and be sure to use code running for real to get yourself 10% off your order. Thank you so much to Koala Cup for sponsoring this episode. Now let's get right to the interview with Chris Gethard. Chris, thank you so much for joining me today on this very random uh, bonus podcast episode, but I'm excited to have you here with me. So thanks for joining me. Oh, please. I'm uh... I'm psyched to be here, a little confused as to how this all happened, but happy to give it a shot. Well, from what I got of it, you're going to you're gonna give us running advice for an hour. Is that right? Well, that's the funny thing, right? Is if I remember right, somebody on social media tagged us both mm-hmm. and then, and then you suggested we actually do this, which I was very flattered by, but then I did explain to you that I have a, uh, pretty pronounced joint condition that makes running borderline <laughs> impossible for me. So I wasn't exactly sure what your game plan was, but I'm really interested, really interested to see how this one shakes out. Well, I just thought it'd be interesting to have you as someone who you said borderline impossible to run. Uh, that makes you probably in many ways, totally the opposite of most people who would be listening. So uh, for some people, they end up injured a lot by doing what they're told to be doing. So maybe you'd have some insights that could lead to a new running method. Wow. I did, I, if this leads to me inventing a new running method after, <laughs> after I mean, tens of thousands of years of, of human evolution and, and we come up with it just spitballing yeah. here, <laughs> I feel like that would be revolutionary. Yeah. Well, there you go. Never, you never know what could happen. I do want to give some context here. So uh, for the (laughs) listeners, as we've been a bit cryptic here, um, I logged on to Twitter one day and I saw that Chip Clark, who is someone within my community, um, had tweeted at myself and someone called Chris Gethard, uh, who I'm I'm sorry to tell you, Chris, I had no idea who you were. I get this a lot. Yep. um, Had said, and I, I wrote this down, you are not to like put on my wall or anything, but just for this interview, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, you are two of my favorite people to listen to. You're both pushing for kindness and empathy in the world and working very hard to make it a better place in my world. I just wanted you in my world. I just wanted you both to meet someday, maybe a crossover podcast. 
So here we are. Well, I like that there's at least one guy named Chip who will enjoy this. Yes. Yeah. Well, actually, there's quite a few because I did say about this uh, to the community saying, hey, you never know what can happen if you if you send a message to to people that you appreciate um, in this world. So I know there's a few. Okay. So what would you like to talk about for an hour? If uh, not running. Well, what a yeah this is what a what a, quite a hard one to answer in this contest i mean maybe i should tell you a little bit about what's going on first and see because maybe i can air out what i'm dealing with and maybe someone listening would go oh actually there you go here's because because i would love to be a runner and i also just moved i lived in new york city for uh 16 years and i just moved back to new jersey where i grew up but i i moved out to like kind of the boondocks like out in the woods and it's beautiful and I'll go on walks and I enjoy it. So maybe I should tell people what I'm dealing with. And then someone might reach out and be like, Oh, actually here's some kind of shoes that you never knew about, or here's some sort of bionic device that you can attach to you. Okay. So I have a thing called nail patella syndrome. It affects, uh, fingernails and knees hence the name of it hmm. it also affects like i can show you on zencaster if you can see my elbows are kind of permanently bent at this like probably what like 40 degree angle my elbows kind of stick out and i have you can see my hands are a little weird looking my knuckles don't really function but as you can tell patella is the uh in the name of it and uh it happened in both my mom and my brother both have it too and my brother and I both, when we, when we went through puberty and started growing, we just sort of occasionally collapse on the ground because in the growth process, our kneecaps would kind of slip out of the socket. Oh wow! And then that's that's happened. Uh, that happened for you know pretty deep into my mid twenties until I think my body sort of stabilized. But I still have um, my left knee in particular. I once had a doctor look at it and the doctor said, this knee is dislocated. And I said, oh, and the doctor said, Are, is this just how your knee is? And I said, yeah. And, and doctor was like, it's, it's, it's permanently dislocated. I don't understand how you walk. I said, I, I just move my feet. I just try. So as you can imagine with that running, especially running on pavement, mm -hmm. just I just wind up with ice packs. So if anybody can crack the code or solve this mystery for me, I'd love it. Okay. Well, we'll send that, send that on our listeners, see what they can uh, come up with. And um, yeah, that's never something you want to hear from a doctor, is it? Like, oh, I, I don't understand this. I've, I've never seen yeah. this before. <laughs> yeah. Apparently this condition is something that it's like a lot of doctors. Um, we, my mom once had a real a situation actually that we can laugh about in a dark way, but that made her feel bad where, a doctor realized what she had and then called in all these other doctors to look at her oh. because apparently it's a thing that this is sometimes something that doctors are sort of forced to know about in medical school and they all view it as sort of um, like a pain in the ass because you never really see it in real life. So a lot of them know about it and then it's like a question on a pop quiz and they're all like, come on. I got to remember what that thing is that I'll never see in real life. And then it, I'm the one you see it with, of course. Wow. Well, that, uh, I'm glad that you can be of, of service to, to doctors. And on the yeah. other some might say of service and some others might say ogled like some sort of circus freak. Well, yeah, that doesn't 
doesn't make a person feel good, but it, it, I tell you what, I think it's actually, I'm, I'm very interested to hear how running um, becomes a platform to promote empathy and kindness. Because I, I think with me, it's it, actually this condition I'm speaking of is, is I think one of the central parts why my work has, has leaned in that direction, because I think I did grow up feeling, um, yeah, you know, like a little freakish at times people would point this stuff out and I, I could feel it and it made me feel bad and like an outsider. So I think a lot of my creative work has sort of leaned towards empathy and trying to say, mm -hmm. Oh no, I'm not, you know, this is total lack of judgment here and priority on listening here. So I get it from my angle. So t tell me, tell me about running. How does running get there with people? Cause I think of it as a solitary physical pursuit personally. Yeah. And I think that is a big part of it. I mean, I can only speak on behalf of myself. Um, but I mean, when you, when you talk about, uh, you know, going through this, um, when you were younger, um, did that mean that you didn't, when there was PE classes and running was involved, you like had a note saying that you weren't able to participate or it hit that point in high school. Um, I actually really enjoyed PE class and I was actually sh shockingly for someone who was as small as I was, I was a, I was a halfway decent basketball player growing up. And then I just never grew. I was a tragically late bloomer. So by the time like middle school, when you had to try out for the teams, I was just a foot shorter than everybody else, but I could shoot and I could defend. Mm -hmm. So I actually really enjoyed it, but it was around my freshman, sophomore year of high school that it, it started falling out. And, and yes, senior year, I, uh, the doctor did give a note that just said, it's just too much stress on, on these mm -hmm. knees. So I would go sit in the library and read like a big old nerd. <laughs> well, I would imagine that when it came to the, I mean, as you can tell, I'm British, although I do live in America. Um, in England, when we would, we had a section of like each six weeks, you would change sports that you did. So for one of the six weeks block, six week blocks during each of your school years would be a cross country segment. And mm -hmm. I would say by far and away, that was the least popular rotation. And so people hated that. And so for a lot of people, why is running, why do people not like running? Because it's, well, some people say, you know, it's the punishment sport, but a lot of it is, they say it's boring. And a lot of that is because you are stuck with your own thoughts. So I am going somewhere with this. Um, so where empathy, I would say comes into it is that you have all that time, especially where as people get longer distances, do things like marathons, you have all that time where, what are you doing? You're, unless you are listening to music, which, um, I didn't do for a lot of my, uh, running, you're listening to your thoughts. And as you probably know, when you're in silence with yourself, alone with your thoughts, and particularly when you're doing something hard, what comes out? Well, all that negativity, all that inner critic. So for me, I learned very early on that I was very self-critical. And so the empathy came from trying to be realizing that all runners and all people are very harsh on themselves, except runners have the, that dedicated time where they are spending that time alone with their thoughts. And so it can spiral. And you, I, from what I read of you, you have talked about mental health issues. Um, mm -hmm. And so people tend to be just very tough on themselves within running. Like I'm not good enough, come back from these runs. Although with that, 
runners high you may hear about also spending a lot of time thinking about why they're not good enough. So for me, the empathy came from just being aware of what people were saying and trying to, you know, be a friend to them and try to be that kind person that they couldn't be to themselves. Does that answer? It does. And it, it, it makes sense. And I actually, as, as you're saying it, a few thoughts come to mind, which is one, I, I, I'm kind of, I really love reading, especially reading sort of long form journalism. And I've read a bunch about ultra marathoners and ultra cycling. And I have been very fascinated by that. Um, because I, I, the New York times, I, I bet some of your listeners have read it, having an interest in this world. It was actually about ultra cycling, but it was about, it was a guy from Eastern Europe. I don't want to I forget which country, so I don't want to label it wrong, but he was kind of the, the like unquestioned champion of ultra cycling in his time. He would just win everything. And the writer set out to figure out why and thought it was going to be like, oh, like they say Michael Phelps has like ankle joints that allow him to have like flipper feet. And he, he figured it'd be something physical, but it was no, it was mental. It was that mm -hmm. this person's mind would break during these physical feats and his support team, most support teams, when people psychologically broke, would pull them and say, now we're going to have recuperation periods. And his would actually say, no, now is the perfect time to push you when you're psychologically broken. So hmm. that idea of, um, you know, being alone with your thoughts and breaking yourself down, I, I've, I've read about it going to the extreme. And then the other thing I think of is I actually dated for many years, someone who her little brother was a high school track star in Illinois. And I came to know via their family that, that high school track is a pretty big deal in Illinois. Like people follow it very closely. Mm -hmm. And that's when I found out there's all these running message boards and yeah. all this stuff that I think mainstream sports fans don't necessarily know. If you're only following, you know, baseball, basketball, football, hockey, whatever it is. And um, he actually, at one point, uh, qualified for the Olympic trials in the marathon and then unfortunately got injured and couldn't run it. But he is by far the most Zen human being I've ever met. When he was mm. like 16, I knew him because I was in my twenties dating his older sister and he was by far the most Zen, but also the quietest individual I've ever known. I've never met someone who used less words in daily life than, than the, uh, his, the, her, uh, distance running little brother. So yeah, but I would say a lot of the listeners that are here, a lot of runners are, there is that stereotype of, and, and there are people who are um, quiet and introspective and thoughtful and, and yeah, kind of the, um, just the quiet types. But then there are definitely a lot of people who are, um, there's a lot of runners who are very like type A and, and driven and, and talk about things and talk a lot. So um yeah, I, I think there's a, I don't think the rest of the, like you said, the mainstream sports, the rest of the world realizes that running has this whole like, um, world, um, that exists. And you obviously got a glimpse into that, but yeah, you said about the message boards in particular, there's a oh, lot of yeah. those. And I, I have a guy who I worked with, like he was my right hand man for many, many years. So we're tight as can be. And he ran hurdles in high school and he has explained to me, first of all, um, that people who run different types of events when it comes to track and field have sort of different trope personality types. Like he's explained to me that like hurdlers have to be 
ultra focused and like super, super competitive because it's, it's like such a short burst and there's such a physical feat involved. And then he also was the one, he was the one too, that was like, dude, you got to get in on this. Like, cause I'm a big basketball fan. He's like, you would root for runners too. And I remember him telling me all about like, oh man, Galen Rupp and this, and all this Salazar stuff's going down, man. Like you got to be reading up. And I was like, wow, he really treats Mm -hmm. running as like a spectator sport in the way most people only do with like I said, those core four sports in America. And then of course, obviously football around the world, AKA soccer here and other, I'm just sorry, but from the American's perspective, obviously he was the one that made it real where I'm like, Oh, there's so much drama, so much (laughs) drama in your world. And then I was just, I just read an article uh, in out. I think it was an outside or no, I listened to a podcast on outside podcast, which I'm a big fan of about female, female Nike athlete who, blew the whistle on a bunch of stuff. And then was, was, and so I'm like, Oh, who knew that running most people from the outside are like, Oh, that looks, you look like you're having a pleasant afternoon. Yeah. Who knew that so many people are actually caught up in this online world of drama and intrigue. Oh yeah. Well, especially when you said about the message boards, when you, your question was about empathy, those message boards, let's just say, do not contain a lot of uh, empathy, at least the ones that come to mind for me. Um, so yeah, there's a ton of drama and a ton of, um, uh, yeah, just it, for many people listening, it can be hard to imagine that people don't know that world because it's so involved. It's so, I don't know, like an you can go, You can get sucked in real deep, real fast yeah. of it. He also told me this made me laugh. And I bet anybody who's, who ran in, you know, High, high school, college. He also told me in the track and field world that pole vaulters are the real weirdos. He's <laughs> like, to, if you want to sign up to pole vault, like something's going on. <laughs> so you're a weirdo if you pole vault. Like they're known as kind of the fringy track and field people. So yeah, there aren't that many of them. That made me laugh. <laughs> made me laugh. So I, that's I what I know. I guess I know a little bit I, more about the running world than I thought. Yeah. I mean, you said the word Galen Rupp. So, you know, that's one of but the major that's, things. That's basic, right? So many people are rolling their eyes going, okay, if you're, if you're faking the funk and you're some poser, yeah, he's the one you're going to hear of as an American. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, I suppose. I mean, I mean, I don't know. I feel like there's there's other names that would come ahead of Galen, I would imagine. But so I'm surprised that you know his name. Um, but yes, so um, with with running, there's all that time and space to think and um, and just process who you are. Um, and I actually came from the elite running world. I was a, a, a safe professional runner, but um, it was it was let's say borderline um, and. So for me, when I was running at the top level, people were very cagey about like kept their secrets in, didn't talk about what they were struggling with. And I always never really understood that. I always liked being honest and open, having like uh, vulnerable conversations and talking about what was tough because I felt that that it wasn't that that showed weakness to my competitors, but it actually gave me strength. And I've seen, I saw something similar of you saying something along the lines of, um, I can't even remember exactly what it was, but something about it being strength to to talk about mental health or something. Um, and so I always was like the the elite runner who would 
say the truth. And so I think that's where it came from for me that people started coming to me to be like, oh, she actually will talk about how hard things are rather than just saying mm. like, oh yeah, you know, I just breezed around 26 miles, no problem. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's where the, I developed. I love this. that. So you were like the emo runner. <laughs> I get. You were the I emo guess. runner. Wore your heart on your sleeve. Can I ask you this thing? Yeah, sure. I wonder if this, and I don't know, this might be boring because you may have covered all this territory, but I'm really interested in people. So I have this mm -hmm. question for you. Mm -hmm. I would imagine when you're a professional runner, it's certainly a whole world to it, but it's not the largest world. You know each other. And when you're running in meets, I bet you know, here are the people, because right, it comes down to split seconds sometimes. And that's all public information. Mm -hmm. So when you show up at a meet and you look down the line, you go, okay, here's the people who I probably can't catch. I know what their level they're at. Here's the people who I know can't catch me. And here's the two other people who I know are going to be the ones that I'm right. Like one of us is beating the other and I'm not sure who it is. I could imagine that fostering actually not just like you're saying, sort of like people holding things too close to the vest and you buck that trend, but I would actually almost imagine it could create some venom that you're sitting here going, this person is effectively an enemy to me. And that's how professional athletes might have to treat each other. Mm. And you might be sitting here going like, oh, I saw your times. Oh, I think you're, this person's probably, you know, I bet you sit here and have accusations in the professional world. I bet that person's doping. That person's skirting the rules. Oh, they're wearing these new sneakers that are kind of, you're getting the unfair advantage. I know that was a thing. Does it create actually a sense that you don't trust people or, or in fact can get venomous towards others? I think a lot has changed in the last few years. I've definitely seen, I think more so with women. I can only speak on behalf of women, but I, I think things have changed in the last few years to, for women to be more supportive of one another. And there are groups of women who are particularly, um, will, will, um, vocally speak out about su being supportive, even if someone beats them. But there's two things to that. One, I would say that it isn't quite as clear as this person will win. This person is here. These are the two I'm trying to beat and I should beat this person, this person. Yeah. That, that definitely comes into my mind. I'm I would, not going to lie that there's sometimes I would see people and be like, well, I don't have to worry about them, even though mm -hmm. maybe I did. Maybe they've come a long way and maybe I'm going to have a bad day. But then I think in 2018, and this may have been something you read about, um, the Boston Marathon um, was this horrific day. I wasn't there, but um, it was 30, like eight degrees pouring with rain. Um, and um, really strong wins. And in that race, um, one of the top people, uh, won the race, uh, Des Linden, who is a name, you know, if you said you knew a running name like Galen Rupp, she is another name I would expect maybe you to have heard of, but Des Linden ended up winning the race. However, every single other elite, the, the elites from Kenya, the Americans, all of them just either dropped out or fell way back. And then the women that finished like two through five or two through 10 were all totally unknowns. Well, that's cool. Yeah. And so everybody's flipping out on the message boards that day, huh? Oh yeah. Yeah. You can imagine. So, um, so there's pictures of these you know, like unknown women 
passing like um, Olympians and passing people who had run times in the marathon, which is, yeah, 26 miles, like 20 minutes faster than them. Um, so yeah, you never really know how things are going to play out. And I think that was really demonstrated that day, but to answer your actual question, absolutely. And that was one thing I hated that I would be standing on the start line and I would walk where you would be felt like you needed to walk past a friend and just be staring straight ahead. And you would have to like, pretend you didn't know them. And I actually sensed this more when I was in high school in England, all the women were just like, you know, barreling around, like, you know, kind of, um, getting ready for a fight. But then to me, I always saw it as, well, surely we're all just going to try our hardest and whoever finishes where finishes there. Like, what does it matter? Like you trying your best should be all you can do. So I really struggled with that actually. And, and I think that's part of why I didn't see it as a downside to say, my knee's been bugging me. So I've been taking a bit of time or, um, you know, I'm having some doubts or whatever. So, but yes, it definitely in the, when I was running, I felt that very much. And I didn't, I hated that, that there were these people I considered friends and I had to stand on the start line and act as if they were enemies. Can I ask you another question? Yeah, go for it. And maybe this is, maybe this is interesting for people because you're usually the one who has to organize things and ask the questions. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now I've heard about the opposite extreme too, which is really fascinating to me where I feel like when things aren't professional, often you hear about running groups and things get more communal and on the amateur level. And I think that's really beautiful. I've also read that there's some groups that have gotten communal to the degree where they're almost viewed as sort of like running based religious cults in a way. Do you know about this? Have you heard of this? I am guessing, is this tied to the Salazar thing you mentioned? Uh, no, I wish I had done more research, but we're just winging it. It was some group yeah. that I think was a group of ultra marathoners. Oh. And the person who wound up running the group became like a, like a guru, like an actual guru that people would start it out as being like, oh, this is a cool running group. And then it was like, oh, no, wait, we sort of have to worship this guy. Oh, no, I do so not Okay, it. okay. Well, we'll look it up off. And I might be total, people might be listening, go, oh, he's referring to this and he's completely wrong with what he just said, which is fair, which is No, fair. I don't know. I No, I don't know anything about that. And um, I feel like I should clarify the Salazar thing. It wasn't, the, so there was a group out in Oregon well, and Salazar was the coach and, um, a taskmaster. I've read all about he it. He did some not so good stuff. And so that was what I thought maybe you were referring to because people kind of had the wool pulled over their eyes a little well, a bit. A friend of mine told, I, I mean, I read about that, about how he demanded loyalty to a degree that was, that was sort of got weird. And then my buddy who told me about Galen Rupp and, and, um, said that pole vaulters are intense weirdos. He also told me that Salazar and Hey, I could be wrong. Amateur's opinion. You don't have to say it. He said Salazar's thing was to kind of figure out the rules and walk like right up to the line on what was allowed in a way that people were sort of like, mm -hmm. but then I've also read too, it was sort of Nike in general was this thing that was like everyone clamoring for their attention in a way that I've, I've read some articles, especially from, uh, like I said, and, and that podcast I heard sounded like especially for female runners yeah that nike cult was brutal 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, there's just been some more stuff about it this week, actually, with um, they Did brought this. out a new ad. Yeah. So, Did this. Um, yeah, it's quite uh, constantly happening. But yes, we uh, definitely have a, uh, a drama. A, a, yeah, a drama film. The drama. Although I'm supposed to be convincing you that this is a, a cool world to be a part of. But I'm barraging you with questions. And I hope people <laughs> find it funny to realize, because I would have to imagine anyone locking into your podcast is dedicated, pretty dead generally. I'm sure you have other people who just find it fascinating, but generally they're probably locked uh-huh. into the running world. Uh-huh. And maybe hearing the outsider opinion of me and hearing that it's <gasps> very bizarre and fascinating from the outside might give them that perspective. Good. Yeah, no, I think I bet people are enjoying this because it is different and it, it's not just me asking uh, the same questions. That said, I, I actually don't. My podcast is different from the other running podcasts. And even that, sure. there's so many running podcasts you would not believe. Um, but mine is different because I actually will bring on one of those famous runners and yeah. not ask them anything about their wins, oh, not I ask them that. about the Olympics, nothing. Cause I, oh, I love like that. going on the other, the other things. Um, so I actually pride myself on, on asking that. And that's what I said to you that I like to, to dig deep and ask different questions and just have a connection and a conversation with people. Cause I, for me, that's, and as I know, that's probably what chips into it. Up. I love it. Mm-hmm. You know what else this, you know, what's making me laugh. And I mean this with love, but th- just because it is this insular world and I'm getting mm-hmm. excited because I love, I love finding out about like subcultures that are super passionate and intense, mm-hmm. but maybe not known far and wide mainstream. Like I'll use the name I know, but like people at the top of their world, right? Like if, if LeBron James went into a Starbucks and ordered a coffee and then the person handed to is like LeBron, like read the name off like they do. Everyone would stop and it would become a fiasco. Uh-huh. But like there's people, you know, and there's people in your world who if they like if someone went to a Starbucks and all of a sudden you heard like Galen, like high percentage chance that people are just like, oh, Galen, that's a cool name. Like then people don't even know that they're standing next to someone like a world class Olympian. They might not even know. Thank you to Athletic Greens for sponsoring this episode of the Running Thrill podcast. I have been talking about Athletic Greens for years. As I've mentioned, I have my parents taking it, my sister taking it, Steve takes it, Bailey even drinks it sometimes. She has seen us drinking it so much that at three years old, she will often say, can I have some? And it's so cute because she gets a little um, round uh, circle shape thing from the um (laughs) the greens that ends up on the side of the I'm not describing this very well uh when she takes a drink it gets on her face to give her a mustache let's just put it that way and it's adorable but she loves it and that shows you that if a three-year-old can like the taste of it that's a pretty good sign right um athletic greens ultimate daily is that all-in-one daily supplement with 75 vitamins minerals and whole food source ingredients that work together to help the body absorb and synthesize these nutrients in a highly bioavailable form um i've been talking about it for many years it can replace a multivitamin and a number of the other supplements commonly taken by elite professional athletes and health conscious go-getters It makes it really easy for us to get this comprehensive nutrition without the need for multiple pills, powders, or these complex routines. Um, I drink my Athletic Greens as soon as I wake up in the morning, every single morning. And I then uh, run within, I mean, often I'll run within 
20 minutes, half an hour of taking it. I don't have stomach upsets. Um, I just feel great. Um, it's a great way to know that I've then taken in um, the antioxidant equivalent of 12 servings of fruits and vegetables. Um, I have this peace of mind that I'm getting all the things I need to support my busy lifestyle, which takes a lot of stress off. Um, it helps to maintain healthy skin, nails and hair. And those adaptogens help to maintain hormone levels and support mood, which with the life stage that we are in right now, anything to support our mood is going to help us, right? So you can go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Tina, where you can get the one year free supply of vitamin D3 K2. And you can also, they also also giving five travel packs away with, with every month, just as a little bonus, as a little thank you and a little um, bit of support for you. You can give them away to someone that you love so they can try them. Um, or you can just keep them for yourselves for when you are traveling or maybe give them to someone in your family. So you can go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Tina to find out more and get that special offer. There's people, you know, and there's people in your world who, if they, like, if someone went to a Starbucks and all of a sudden you heard like Galen, like high percentage chance that people are just like, oh, Galen, that's a cool name. Like then people don't even know that they're standing next to someone like a world-class Olympian. They might not even know. So true. But there's, see, my mind went the other way with that, that that there's probably some coffee shops where, where Galen lives. Where oh, I'm sure. I'm he says, sure. says Galen and everyone like. Oh, right. Like the, <laughs> the Pacific Northwest, that probably goes further than LeBron, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, would think, I actually had a really weird situation a few years ago where a woman heard me talking, yelled to her friend that it was me. Nice. And you probably had things like this as well. Yelled to her friend that it was me, started freaking out, and then another friend came along and they were all just like squealing. Yeah. And I just was like, I want to get out of here. <laughs> this feels uncomfortable. <laughs> See, I will, I will often have it where they're, cause I've been very underground as a comedian mm. and I have a very cult fan base. Maybe why I like other things that have this cult feel, but mm -hmm. I will often have it where one person will go, Oh my God. And they'll freak out. And then their three friends will be like, what's happening? And, why are you reacting to this like shy, big headed geek like this? I get that. Even the assembled group, that's how underground I am. Like 30% of the group has heard of me and one yeah. of them cares. I, I feel like we need to go into this though, because yeah, sure. you very much portray this, like you, or you say about like being a loser, being a nerd or whatever. But okay. So in in true uh, beautiful anonymous um, sense, which is your podcast, I should mention, mm -hmm. um, I decided. Well, actually, first let me backtrack and say: so your podcast, beautiful anonymous, um, you tweet out a phone number. Um, people can call in, and do they leave a voicemail, and then you call them back? Um, occasionally, we do voicemails. We do have a voicemail line. More often than not, it's just phone number goes out, calls come in. I have a producer, the producer picks up the line goes, Oh, so what do you want to talk about? And they're, mm. they're screening like primarily just for the sound quality to make yeah. sure that it's usable audio. And then they might jump on the line with me and go, okay, we got someone so really immediately, good. Immediately, pretty happened. immediately. Usually okay. screening lasts like 10 minutes. And sometimes they'll just go, we got something that seems really fascinating and I'll go cool patch it through. Sometimes they might go, Hey, 
We got one that's really fascinating, but it's it's kind of sad. We got another one that seems really good, but it's goofy. Where are you at? And then I might mm. be able to say, you know what? I've been depressed lately. Go with the goofy one. But that's about the extent of the screening. So I just, okay. I have these conversations and I sort of walk in blind. Yeah. So you have no idea what you're going to talk about. Uh, you don't have any agenda questions or anything. And so in that sense, I decided I wasn't going to do too much diving. So I was like, one hour before you we were recording, I was like, okay, right, time to learn. Okay. So I just did what I could. Here's, so here's what I learned. Yeah. You're a comedian. Mm -hmm. You're an actor. Mm -hmm. uh, you hosted a show called The Chris Gethard Show. I did. In which the one I watched, or parts of it I watched, as I, again, I only had an hour, you spent 36 minutes having people call in to guess what was in a dumpster. Have you not gotten to the end of that yet? I did see who popped out. Oh, good. Oh, sorry, I shouldn't say who. Oh, well, slight spoiler, <laughs> but you got to admit, we brought the heat on that one. <laughs> you did. Yeah. So, so you that means you fast forwarded through some sections, though, if you were. Yeah. Fair. Okay. Fair. I get it. Okay. Happens a lot. Yes. So I, was trying to, I was trying to get as many angles and areas mm -hmm. as I could. Mm -hmm. um, so, the host of this podcast, Beautiful and Honest, which I mentioned, um, you once filmed you meeting an in internet what you call tormentor i would yeah. call maybe troll yeah um, <laughs> that was many years ago i think troll has become troll. more of the label okay. since then yeah which was interesting uh you like looking after your lawn i i, I do that's yeah. where i got to in your conan interview great great um you have some famous comedian i don't know if you would call them friends but for what i saw friends mm -hmm. uh will ferrell amy polar being two um and you see yourself as a hero to weird kids across the internet. I wouldn't say I see myself as a hero. I don't often go around proclaiming, hello, I'm a hero. I'm a hero to the, I'm a hero to underdogs, but I have been, I think Ooh. I have become a little bit, um, yeah, I, I think a lot of underdog people have sort of rallied around my work. Yes. Mm -hmm. But so in you saying about like, yeah, this, this way of, uh, um, degrading yourself, self -dep deprecation. What's yes. The word? To a degree that oftentimes is like visible self hate <laughs> can be, I can be very tough on myself. Yeah. But, I mean, that stuff I just mentioned there, that is a lot. And so, um, I'm curious now, one thing that just kept coming to mind, and this is a common theme on my show is, uh, I'm very, we're very like socially conscious, uh, paying attention to what's going on. Has you, have you thought any differently about the way that you portray yourself with the past year being what it has of just you being a white male? Like, have mm -hmm. you been forced to kind of say, okay, I don't know if I can talk in the same way or how do you, how do you navigate that? Well, it's been, it's actually such a huge question, right? Because first of all, you have, you have to, you have to make a choice. You have to examine yourself. Society's changing. And I think especially comedians, like I don't like to be hyperbolic or romanticize it too much, but you get up and you talk to groups of people and you in some ways reflect attitudes and, and the times, and you have to think about that. So there's like a broad responsibility there. There's a lot of comedians right now um, in a way that there's, there's a lot of comedians who will say that in, in, for comedy, free speech rules all. And I do agree with that. And I think there's been a lot of very influential comedians who 
like Lenny Bruce offended a lot of people. George Carlin, I am sure, offended a lot of people. Richard Pryor, I'm sure. Um, but I do feel like they were very skillful about churn up all the dark stuff, the stuff that makes us feel gross, uncomfortable, and then they'd land on the side of the line where you go, and now I have to think about this. I think there's a lot of comedians now who go, man, cancel culture, boo, and everything's too PC, but they're not as skillful as Richard Pryor or George Carlin by any means. And it, to me, sometimes it's becoming a little bit of an excuse just to say messed up stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, not everybody. There's a lot of people who I think can get dark and where you go, oh, that's really fascinating. But it's it's becoming a world that's living on some extremes of, you know, some, and some activist comedians um, where it will actually go to a point where I go, man, I don't know if I'm that either. So I'm not angry about cancel culture and I'm not trying to use my comedy as activism. And it's made me think a lot. And, 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 you know, the other thing is, so my TV show you mentioned, it got canceled three years ago and beautiful anonymous is a really, really incredible thing in my life. It's not comedy though. And I spent 20 years doing comedy, but the show went in some directions where I can't call it a comedy show. And I used to be someone in New York where even as an underground guy, I'd get a lot of press coverage, especially in the in sort of the local New York media and in the comedy focused media, because when I would do stuff, it tended to be out of the box. And people came to realize that like I would hire writers who would then go on to really big things. And I was known as someone who kind of identified talent first. And I had a lot of buzz and that buzz is gone. And I feel a little less relevant than I did a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's scary. It's scary to have a two-year-old son and a mortgage and go, oh, the things I do don't attract attention anymore. And then I take a deep breath and I go, but I'm a a 40-year-old white guy who's been relatively successful thus far. And in 2016, when I was doing an off-Broadway show about suicide, that felt very progressive and risky. Five years later, I think it feels like much more of an open conversation. That doesn't feel as much of a risk. Thank God. That's a good thing. If I played any small part in that, that's amazing. And then I have to take a deep breath and go, well, maybe just in general, 40 year old white guys married to women aren't the ones who should be creating buzz right now. And maybe I have to be a little humble and get out of the way. Creates a lot of fear as far as going, I got a mortgage to pay. I got a two year old son, but I can also recognize culturally that, yeah, maybe I don't need as much screen time now. Maybe there's other people who, who do. And one thing I will say is this, and I don't often pat myself on the back, but I, I, I was an early adopter trying to be on the side of the right. And what I mean is if you look at the timeline of when my TV show hit cable, we were on public access TV for years, but when we hit cable and I was put in the position to hire people, there were a lot of think pieces. Then I think Stephen Colbert had a writer's room that was all white at the time. And there were uh, other articles about how come every late night shows writing staff only has, you know, one woman on it and 10 men. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you looked at my writing room, it was by far out of any late night show at the time. And again, we were a small, more underground show, had more female representation, uh, always had queer representation, I hired people who had immigrated to America who weren't born here. And I wasn't doing that to be PC. I wasn't doing that to 
virtue signal, uh, which is the phrase sometimes people throw around. I was doing that because I'm going, this gives me more ideas. I don't, yeah. I don't need to hire other people who have my life experience. And, and it actually led to a lot of good things where we were able to do episodes that focused on things that I probably didn't have a right to speak to, but where I could say, but this writer I have does. So take the lead on this one and tell me what to do with it and lead the charge. So I understood the positivity of that very early. And on my most insecure days, yes, I sit here and go, man, I don't know that I'm going to be able to make as much money as I did a few years ago. I don't know if that'll ever happen again, but maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a good thing. And maybe the pendulum will swing back where things, so much of the extremes, right, is things reacting to each other. And yeah, when you have groups of people who have been pushed to the fringe or ignored or even terrorized for decades upon decades, yeah, when it swings back, it's going to feel extreme as far as like we have to kick down some doors to make sure that stops happening. Mm -hmm. But hopefully in future generations, they will look back at all these fights and they will go, why was any of this a big deal? Like, why did it create so much controversy for black Americans to say we shouldn't be getting killed in the streets? Like, why was that a big deal exactly? Like, why, why does it feel like a, a huge deal for, why did it feel like such a big deal for them where women who like only until the mid 20th century, you weren't allowed to own property without a male cosign in the States. Like, why did that feel like a big deal that people were, against that? Like, why did that get such a negative reaction? So a long rambly answer to your question, but that's the answer I have. No, that was absolutely so well said. And I mean, I really admire the way that you just spoke about that. I mean, particularly um, with a husband who is a white male, who is very much in that kind of figuring out where my place is uh, kind of thing and seeing people, um, not him, but seeing people in the running space that, uh, that I interact with having a really hard time with it, but not being able to say it like you did that like, yeah, I fear that I'm not relevant. I fear that I, um, I'm going to lose money. The opportunities are gone. And, and yeah, the same applies to me on a lesser level with, uh, being a white woman, but I really appreciate that you were honest with that and yet still willing to, yeah, move out of the way and say, you know, it should have always been this way. There should have always been more, um, people from different walks of life in, in every situation. And, um, I just appreciate that answer that you gave. So thank you for that. And do you feel like you always had that ability to see perspective or is that where beautiful anonymous has come in giving you so many perspectives that you would otherwise have never have known? Well, a, a beautiful anonymous amplified it a thousandfold for sure. I'm also, it's weird to say that I'm lucky that I, my older brother and I really took it on the chin with bullying growing up, him, him more so than, than, than me, but it was a pretty defining aspect of our childhoods. So I think I always identified with the, the people who got knocked down, you know, I, I think I always saw the perspective of 
there's a system in place that wants to keep certain people in check in an unfair way. So I always had a very, very high BS meter for that. Um, I also grew up in a town where I, I, I can say without any caveats that even when I was in high school in the 90s, people would point to my town in New Jersey and say it's, it was one of the most diverse places you could grow up. Um, and there were different pockets, right? There was a Jewish neighborhood and there was a Haitian neighborhood and an Irish Catholic neighborhood and all sorts of people down the list. And it was really beautiful in our high school. I, I remember in my freshman year, they told us that there were 40 different native languages represented in the school, that, that amongst the student body, there were over 40 languages spoken, which I think was, I think right now people would go, oh, wow. Yeah, that's what we're aiming for. And this was in 1995, I entered high school. So um, I was really lucky in that sense too, that I got to know a lot of different types of people early. And to this day, I think I'm a pretty shy guy and I'm a pretty quiet person in, in social settings, but I can generally talk to anybody because I grew up talking to everybody. It didn't feel weird to me. And, and I also saw the unfair side of that. Like I remember so distinctly, um, a kid who I went to school with from sixth grade on, he got expelled from high school for something where I knew if I had done the same thing, I wouldn't have gotten expelled. Mm -hmm. I saw it. I knew it. And, and we all kind of saw it. So I think I had, had it in me, but yeah, beautiful. And I, the idea that I get phone calls randomly from all over the world and people will tell me things, it has, I think it, I already was maybe inclined to want to listen to people and it just poured like a thousand gallons of gasoline on that fire to yeah. just go, oh my God, everybody out there has something going on. Every mm -hmm. person you meet. It made me really reevaluate so much about my life. Like I have to be a lot more patient. I have to assume that was the huge thing that, that doing beautiful anonymous has taught me is I have to assume that other people are having a rough time or are in their heads about something. And maybe they're not like, like, if some like, right. Like if I go to a bank and I'm trying to get money out of the cash machine and the person in front of me is taking too long, like my inclination is to be like, hurry up. I have other things to do. And now I've heard so many extreme stories where I go, what if this person's getting ransom money out because their dad got kidnapped? Like what if there's, what if that's their day? Yeah. I can be 45 seconds late to my next thing. They might be having the worst day of their lives because I've talked to so many people who do call me and tell me about the worst day of their lives or the most insane day of their lives or the most unusual day of their lives and go, okay, like if I, if I'm sitting in traffic beside so, behind somebody who hits the gas, like who won't hit the gas, like maybe it's because they have a phone call where they're getting horrible news and they're in shock and they can't drive fast right now. And it's led me to just lean into the idea of if I can let my ego and my needs go and assume that other people might be dealing with something and to give them the ultimate benefit of the doubt in that way, it's really the only approach to life I can think of that ensures I'm doing the most I can in the service of other people. Mm -hmm. um, Beautifully said. Thanks. Yeah, I think, really. I, I think hard. I think hard. No, that's very clear. I actually had a situation about a week ago. I was driving with my um, three-year-old 
and we were just driving along the street and a car like comes out of a hotel I think it was a hotel parking lot so fast like whips in front of us even though we were in the middle lane I had to slam on my brakes I'd just Mm. been to the flower shop broke one of the um (laughs) pots because I slammed the car uh, unacceptable unacceptable (laughs) but yeah we uh at first I was just like, what are you doing? Like, what was that person thinking? And I pulled over just to like, you know, I thought, okay, this is a great teaching moment for my daughter. Like, and she's like, mommy, what are you doing? And I was like, I, you know, I'm a bit panicked. I just want to take a deep breath and calm myself down. And and she was like, what, what, why did, what, what happened? And I said, oh, you know, that car pulled out really fast. And she said, why? And my first instinct was because that person's like horrible and they did this on purpose or whatever. And then I thought, I said, well, you know, we never know what someone's happening. Maybe they're, maybe they're, um, maybe they're, um, mummy and daddy are, um, in the hospital and they have to get there really quickly. Uh, and I tried to, I was like scratching my brain cause I was still like, my heart was pumping so fast. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you have that approach, uh, and you're able to step back and think about what other people could be going through, it just it not only makes the world an easier place to live in, but it also makes it easier to be kinder to yourself when you make a mistake, because you are able to just take that step back and say, everyone makes mistakes. Um, I think so. I think so. And I think, I think in the world right now, we're also, and, and exploring what's unhealthy about social media is something that's much smarter people than I have, have done and studied. And I also want to say too, it's also led to movements, you know, hashtags have sometimes really changed the world. So I'm not totally against it, but I do often think that it, people put stuff out there in the hopes that it goes viral and people hope that they put a picture of themselves up there where they look so good that it gets a thousand likes. And I think we are living in an era where everybody is about, you know, we're, we're all being trained progressively more and more to say like, well, I'm the focal point of my Mm -hmm. life. And, Mm -hmm. and a lot of my day is spent projecting an image of myself that seeks approval for me. And I think maybe it's making some of us forget that everybody else out there deserves that too. And I think that that is just kind of a weird thing to keep our eye on. Like, and, and, to be fair, like I'm a comedian who goes on stage and has a light pointed at me and I'm the only one with an amplification device. I like attention. Like I hosted a TV show that was named after me. Like I, I clearly like attention. And, but now I'm on the other side of all that. And I can just say sincerely that I wouldn't want another TV show in a million years. It was a lot of pressure. And, and when I do stand up now, I really do think that I'm, a lot less concerned with, I want that, I want to crush, I want to crush, and I want them to have to give me that validation. And much more about somebody in this room, just by definition, right? If there's 200 people in a room, one of those people is having the worst day out of the 200. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a really bad day, or maybe everybody in here is doing great, and relatively the worst day is not that bad, who knows, but somebody's having the worst day. And if I can remember that my job is to make that individual person feel a little bit better, 
then that helps everybody in the room. And it's a much healthier approach, I think, to, to what I do. Mm-hmm. We're essentially the antidote to what is going on right now with this divisiveness that we're able to, yeah, not see it as other or them or mm-hmm. any other dehumanizing word, but instead able to, yeah, remember that everyone has a mother, everyone, everyone um, has people they care about, everyone, um, you know, has something in their life that makes them uh, connected to you, even if you haven't figured out what that thing is yet. And, and, and we do all have to remember, and I just think on a basic level, this isn't a conspiracy theory. I, I worry about people getting all conspiracy-esque with stuff like this, but the more we are convinced that people just fit into these boxes and that I'm in one type of box and my assumption has to be I hate the people in the other type of box, the more that that spreads online, we do have to remember there are people who make money on that. Mm-hmm. There are people who make money on encouraging us. There's been studies. People click on things that make them mad far more often than they click on things that would make them happy. People are making money getting us pissed off at each other and about the world. And you have to be a responsible person. You can't put on blinders and pretend that there's not things that deserve your attention, things that should get you mad. But we all just have to remember at at a certain point, there are people who have a vested interest in making sure we're mad as often as possible. And that's not healthy. Thank you to Momentus for sponsoring this episode of the Running For Real podcast. I am really thankful to be working with this company and I keep teasing to you, but I still can't say anything just yet. But there is some really exciting changes that they are making to um, really make a big uh, reduction in their carbon footprint. I can't really say much more than that at this point, but I feel really, really good about the direction the company is going in. Um, And I just feel like they care. So um, I'm excited to share more about that sometime soon. Now, I've mentioned each of the products that I use uh, through this podcast, and I am actually testing out one of the new ones, which is Brain Drive, um, which is to kind of optimize your uh, thinking as I, as I struggle to think, optimize your focus. And it's something that I just want to make sure that I give some time before I speak out about, but so far I've really been enjoying it and finding it very helpful when I have my little bursts of time where I can do work in the mornings. And so that is, that's been something really helpful. Um, I have mentioned before and I'll mention it again. Um, I have really been enjoying the elite sleep Um, I have had a few uh, nights where I could tell I was um, uh, flustered and unable to sleep. And when I have taken that before bed, I have found it to really help me to settle my mind and to um, drift off to sleep, even when there is a lot on my mind. And I've never really found that before, especially when I've tried to just use um, melatonin on my own. So I definitely am enjoying the momentous elite sleep. And also, um, I have been really trying out the the creatine lately, not all the time. I'm not trying to bulk myself up, but um, it's just been an enjoyable thing that I can use. And if you are an older athlete, that is something that's really going to help your body um, with some of the uh, things that occur with aging. That is by taking um, additional creatine, it's going to help your body to um 
balance out the changes that your body is going to be going through through losing that um, muscle mass that's going to happen over time. So you can get 20% off your order at livemomentous.com. That's livemomentous.com by using code TINA. You can get 20% off your order. Go check them out. They've got lots of other products on there you can go check out. And um, yeah, thank you so much to Momentous. The more we are convinced that people just fit into these boxes and that I'm in one type of box and my assumption has to be I hate the people in the other type of box, the more that that spreads online, we do have to remember there are people who make money on that. Mm. There are people who make money on encouraging us. There's been studies. People click on things that make them mad far more often than they click on things that would make them happy. People are making money getting us pissed off at each other and about the world. And you have to be a responsible person. You can't put on blinders and pretend that there's not things that deserve your attention, things that should get you mad. But we all just have to remember at, at a certain point, there are people who have a vested interest in making sure we're mad as often as possible. And that's not healthy. It's not healthy for you. It's not healthy for your community. It's not healthy in any way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. And uh, I just want to mention to people the same goes to the the climate emergency as well. That's my other big passion. That uh, there's a lot of people putting a lot of money in, so that we don't keep talking about that as well. Um, so yeah, uh, I'd love to know with the future of um, comedy, with what we've been talking about here. I mean, you are able to come at this with as we've as we've established empathy but also you know you want to be funny you want to get laughs especially in the situation like stand up what does the future of comedy look like because surely you've mentioned there's some people who um are you know i'm going to say what i want to say no matter what i mean it'll be interesting to see what happens to those people there'll be some people who will try to be so in their heads about saying the right thing that will lose all of their I don't know, funniness. Um, What does the future look like in your perspective there? Well, I think all the things you just said are very astute and very true. And I'm impressed for you, like right there for, I don't know, maybe, maybe you have dabbled in comedy and I have no idea, but (laughs) assuming I assumed as such, not because you're not a charming person, but just because you haven't brought it up yet. And you would have, I think those are major concerns, right? People are having to live on the extremes more and more. Um, and I think it's I think it's a shame. Um, I also think that just in general, I think comedy has been strangely very influential culturally for the past 10 to 15 years. I think it's been regarded as like a very... It's, and what I mean is like, look at look at how much the dam broke on me too. And how much of that revolved around Bill Cosby. Mm-hmm. Look how much of what happened with Louis CK was viewed as this major cultural indicator. And there, there's many, many examples. Look at how the rise of broad city and Amy Schumer was at probably the beginning phase of a lot of very empowered, youthful feminism. Um, and those, you know, really interesting things to look at and, and, and in many ways, like very good things. 
But I, I feel like the bubble's going to burst on this idea that comedy is this huge thing. It's getting tiresome. I think people are tired of hearing about comedy drama. I think it's outweighing why people want comedy, which is for pressure relief in their lives. Mm. I also think that like when, when I was growing up, if a comedy special came out, you stopped what you were doing and you watched it because it really was special. You know, it was like HBO is putting out a new Dave Chappelle special and all your friends got together to watch it the night it came out. Now, Netflix alone puts out legitimately hundreds of specials a year. They they actually put out, I think, over 200 last year. It's not, it's, the bubble's going to burst. Like, the bubble's going to burst. And I'm a great example of... I've been in it 20 years. I have a cult audience and you've never heard of me. You know what I mean? Like, and I had an HBO special and my own TV show. Like there's too much comedy. Mm -hmm. If someone who had a TV show on cable for 47 episodes and an HBO special who not patting myself on the back, but I've had, I've acted on broad city, the office parks and recreation. (laughs) If, if I can have that resume and the majority of the world goes, yeah, I don't know who that is. Like it's just proof. There's, there's a lot, there's a lot. You can miss a lot. So the bubble's going to burst. And my prediction is that people are going to start scaling down intentionally, that you're going to find a person who's the biggest comedian in the Pacific Northwest, and they'll have material that is really understood there, and they can sell out shows there and live a very comfortable life, beloved, and then be a national act. But boom, when I'm here, I can make a killer joke about the Nike scandal that's not going to work in in in. Ohio and people here are going to flip out and love me. I think you're going to see that. I think you're going to see comedians who want to become sort of regionally beloved or beloved in specific lifestyles, right? I think comedy has crossed over with Comic-Con so much of like the nerds are going to love me. That's already been a thing, but I think you're going to see more and more comedians that speak to specific sets of interests. That's my gut instinct. Uh, who knows if it will prove true, but that's my gut instinct. No, no, that definitely makes sense. Is there any, what, what about your own personal uh, thoughts towards that? You said that there's so many people out there, as we've said, there's so much noise. You've talked about um, just being aware, like stepping out the way a little bit. Um, so what do you, is it something that you want to continue to try and do or is it something that you're like okay this i'm gonna ready to close the book and try something else well i i mean i i actually think about that multiple times a day every day <laughs> um there was just yesterday another story about a, a sexual predatory comedian just a, a yesterday another one broke and it's someone who i have known for years where i'm like oh mm. like we weren't we weren't t- the tightest people but cross paths regularly i'm going what is this world i'm a part of um, but here's what I'm thinking of doing is when the, cause the pandemic has also given so many, I, I, I hope, and I think all walks of life, but comedians in particular, it's like, well, now's a good time to brainstorm and think about who you want to be when it comes out of it. So my goal is to stop performing at the traditional comedy venues as much as possible to perform out of music clubs, independent spaces, places that especially if there's places that have like a set of ethics. And I think the music community often does have this of there's certain places you can go where it's about being independent, being forward thinking. I want to start performing in those places pretty exclusively. Um, 
I, I, I can always do beautiful anonymous live tapings on the road, which are very joyous shows. No one else has that. I can carve out that space. I want to keep my shows. I, I, I've told my agents, I don't want anyone paying more than $20 to see me moving forward. This idea that comedy tickets have swelled to $40, $45. I don't want that. I want young people to be able to see me. I want people who, you know, lost money during the pandemic, mm-hmm. you know, like if they can only spare a handful of bucks, they still deserve art. I think that that's a thing that a lot of artists maybe have lost touch with of like, is your art only for people who can afford an exorbitant fee to see it? Cause what exactly is that doing? Um, and then I was speaking about regionalism. I've actually just started a new project called New Jersey is the world. That's just me talking about New Jersey. Cause I've always had a passion. I've always mentioned New Jersey in my work relentlessly. And I'm going, if my, if ultimately what I become is just like New Jersey's guy where Jersey people are like, yeah, dude, nice. You're doing the stuff that represents us. What a happy life. So a lot of it is about sort of intentionally scaling things down. And, and, you know, obviously I had a TV show get canceled. That's not a choice to scale down after that, but moving forward, do I want to move to LA? Not really. Do I want to try to sell another TV show? It was a lot of pressure. I think what I'd really like to do is go, I have a lot of people who have decided they enjoy my work. Let me really hold them close to my vest, appreciate them, put on shows that are as inviting as possible in venues that have as little baggage as possible and really try to say, I, I moved back to New Jersey. I've always loved New Jersey. This is my home base. These are my roots. And that's going to be the starting point for a lot of things. That's my instinct. Shrink things down, try to do things the right way, make it inviting, make it intimate, make people feel like uh, this guy it has pretty good intentions with what he's selling us. I don't know what else to do beyond that. I can totally see why Chip recommended you and I talk. I mean, just hearing your answer there with totally different worlds. Um, but I just, there's so much of what you just said that I am doing the same thing within my inversion of the world. Now, so it's- can I flip it back? Cause I asked you a bunch, you asked me a bunch. Can I flip it back? That ask question. you ask you my version of that question, which is yeah, right. so you mentioned that you were a professional runner. This means mm-hmm. that you're not anymore. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Uh, I I Semi-pro? am I pro. I'm nine months postpartum, so I feel like I cannot answer that question correctly. Uh, <laughs> well, I did. I read an article about you. Are you playing coy about that, or hear a podcast about you? Because that was another thing I read was that in the Nike stuff, part of it was that if female runners got pregnant, they were kind of abandoned. Yeah. I was not a Nike athlete. I, okay. uh, um, but however, you've, you've I been did. a part of that issue. Yeah. I, uh, I am sponsored by a shoe company ultra who, um, signed myself and Alicia Montano, who is one of the whistleblowers, um, while we were both. Pregnant. I love it. So I'm sitting here cause you, you knew nothing about me. Clearly I knew nothing about you and we're learning. So let me ask you this. Comedy has become a world where there's a lot of drama. It's a headache. Sounds like running as well. Mm -hmm. Sounds like you're not sure what your future is with it. Mm -hmm. Sounds like you're at a crossroads much as I'm at a crossroads. So you've kind of asked me what my plans are with comedy. Do I even want to keep going? I guess I have the same question for you with running. How do you bring the joy back and how do you know if you uh, still got it to the degree you had? 
Yeah, I mean, the 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 actual myself running part of it, I've talked extensively about. Um, I don't know if that part is ever coming back. I mean, if you read anything about me, you probably read that, like, I was, I don't want to use the term whistleblower, it doesn't really fit the context, but I was the first um, runner in a public space to speak out about, I didn't have a period for nine years, talk about... Uh, what's called a menorrhea where you you don't have a period. Um, I also was experiencing burnout of my running. I basically quit the sport and said, I don't know if I'll ever run again, got pregnant, have had two children and here we are. Um, but I don't know if in my heart I can go back to that level of intensity. You can probably imagine it if you're a big, you know, basketball fan, which I thought I read that you are this is so interesting by the way that we're both trying to like ask questions without knowing too well, much it's about funny because i've referenced the scandals that i've read about and i've seen in your face because we can see each other right now uh-huh. that there's been certainly a, a little bit of a level of surprise that i knew a decent or more about that than probably a layman would and i've also seen a marked change in your facial expressions where you're going he doesn't know that i'm a part of that and everyone listening does this is now what's becoming clear to me that that was your action because you've if people go back and listen because you and i are both clearly good at conversations and enjoy it but there have been some moments where you've bit your tongue and i was wondering why and i've probably read your name mentioned in a bunch of the stuff i've read maybe i don't think i i don't think it's as big as maybe you think it is but my role i have seen you go i have seen you have the moment of oh i'm one of those people and he doesn't know it (laughs) sorry about whistleblowers I I didn't whistleblow. I wasn't a Nike person, but yes, I did draw attention to something which I will say tens of thousands of women have reached out to me and, you know, said they went through. I have been on a quest since to find a way of participating in running without that pressure of, I mean, I actually read something, I actually wrote it down in my notes. We didn't get to it, but you putting pressure on yourself to get the best possible cast for your show at the time was called Ascat. Ascat. Oh yeah. That was a very famous improv show in New York that ran for 20 years. It was one of the... Yeah. I I once got to do comedy with Robin Williams and it was a joy. Yeah. Um, but you re- write about having this pressure on yourself, um, being the person to bug people and just, you know, uh, really wanting to be so much of that. I resonated with, I knew exactly that feeling you had within me. And that's what I experienced as a runner, as a professional runner of like, I need to be this level. I need to do this. I need to look on the start line and be like, I'm going to beat you. Um, and I didn't like that side of me. Um, and so I'm trying to find a place where I can get back to a high level because I do have the talent. I do have the years of training where I can get to a high level without it being sucking, um, the life out of me and pulling out the parts of me that I didn't like about myself. Um, that said, uh, the other part of this is, yeah, I have this podcast that you are on now, but I also have launched a second podcast, which is all about, um, exploring challenges within our, um, running world. Um, but it's a, a produced kind of like Gimlet NPR style podcast. Um, and there's not really much out coming out of that. It's not to make money. It's not to, um, 
It's called Running Realized. Um, I think most of my listeners have probably heard me talking about it. Uh, it's not to do anything specifically, but purely to make people think of different perspectives and because I feel it's the right thing to do. So very much like you, I feel like we're both trying to find a place where we can contribute and feel like we're uh, being a part of changing things in a positive way and saying, here, let's uplift some underrepresented voices and groups. Um, while at the same time saying I'm doing this, but I don't have any clue what it's for or where it's going. Does that make sense? I mean, more than you can imagine. <laughs> it sounds like we're in very similar places, both starting new side projects that aren't money generators yet, but that we're like, this feels like the right thing to do. Yeah. Sounds like we're right there. I know. Are there, are there, um, are there, there have to be. Are there ways that people can be professional runners that aren't focused on having to win races to prove your credibility? Are there ways to make money off of it that don't involve winning? I think that's what I'm trying to explore right now. I do have some sponsors and companies I work with, um, and I'm not at the professional that top level. I am actually going to do probably, yeah, in the next three weeks, two weeks, uh, I am going to do a trail race, which is, you know, you talk about being in the woods. Um, I'm going to do my first trail marathon in a few weeks, just as a, let's see what happens. Um, so I don't know what level I'm going to come in at, but, um, yeah, I guess we'll find out. But yeah, there are definitely some people, particularly now who are coming out as like activists or not coming out, but they're getting picked up as activists, uh, people pushing the right things, um, within the space, um, changing the way people talk about body image and things like that. So I, I guess that's where I'm trying to find my way in. I just have the, the strange situation of being able to kind of fit into both groups. Like I can be that, the representative, the public figure, but I can also be the athlete. So I'm not really sure where I fit in the middle there. I love it. <laughs> I have another question. I could talk to yeah. you all day. I know. I feel the same way. <laughs> so in comedy, we have corporate gigs mm -hmm. where every once in a while you'll get a call. And I don't get these calls as much as I did when I was on TV, or you'll get a call. Oh, th this, like I have a friend who once made tons of, he's a famous comedian. I won't name his name. He made tons of money performing for a group of orthodontists where they're like, we want a comedy show at this conference and we'll give you like a hundred thousand dollars to do a 30 minute comedy set for this, these orthodontists. And it's like rich people are rich. Do runners ever run into a thing where it's like, and I didn't mean a pun by that, but like, will a pro runner ever have a thing where it's like, Hey, like some billionaire just wants to run 10 miles with you and they'll give you $50,000. Do you get those? Is that a thing? Some I lunatic madman with money to spend just wants I to mean, run with you. I don't, I feel like there would be some safety concerns, at least, oh, you know, being a woman. I don't know if that's I, true. if I could imagine that there are, there are definitely like, um, people who, you know, require a high fee to go anywhere, but that fee would probably be pretty low in your world. Um, I would imagine because runners just in general, um, I, the sport doesn't make as much like a, you know, the, Olympic champion is, as a runner is not going to make a tenth of what uh, one of the top NBA players is going to make. But, um, but that's still more than most comedians. Yes. Oh, most is it? Comedian, oh, yeah. You do most comedians okay. do. 
even me 20 years in the majority of shows i do i will make 40 dollars maximum down to zero dollars because that's what you do when you're working out your material and then you pray you can get road gigs where you make uh, you make a couple grand a pop okay so yeah so maybe yeah maybe then people are doing better off but yeah i don't know about the running i'm trying to think of anything that within the running space that is um the gross corporate gig yeah no i don't i can't think of anything most that most money is just sponsorship of athletes um so yeah if you got a call that said there's a group of 35 orthodontists that want you to run with them and they'll pay you a ton of money would you go run with orthodontists uh yeah but i would make them sign a contract that when my kids are teenagers they would fix it give them braces for free wow <laughs> shrewd shrewd yeah well i've heard about the fee in england we don't pay for our orthodontists but i've heard about the costs over here so um, oh yeah me out a little bit the idea of how much that costs to get you know something that nine what is it like almost every child will have it's it's dark it's another thing that i feel like history will look back on and go like wait why why was it a big deal that people were going you shouldn't go bankrupt if you get cancer like why did that (laughs) seem like a divisive thing why it's logic uh, when i um had my uh second daughter uh nine months ago i um I didn't, I wanted to do it unmedicated, both of them. I was really like adamant on that and I did it. But then the day after, um, I was in quite a lot of what they call after pain, pain where like the uterus is shrinking back down. And they kept saying to me, the nurses, they were like, would you like an ibuprofen? I was like, no, I don't want an ibuprofen. Would you like an ibuprofen? No, I don't want an ibuprofen. And eventually I was like, okay, I'll take an ibuprofen because I was in pain. And I said, oh, I bet that was like a $10 ibuprofen. And then it came back and I, oh, I can't remember what it was, but I swear it was like 2750. No, it couldn't have been that much. Maybe it was 750. And I was like, 750 for one ibuprofen yeah, yeah. tablet. And I just was like, what world are we living in right now that I am paying 750 for an ibuprofen? One. So um, yeah, that's, that's nuts. <laughs> that's nuts. Yeah. Do you yeah, ever so- think about having to fly back to England for medical treatments? Is that like a factor? See, that's a tricky thing because I would say the level of care here, like in England, if I here, if you did something and needed an MRI, you could get an MRI within what a week. You would say, probably. yeah, yeah. It, there, you they'd probably say, well, we can get you in in three months. So you might as well. Not I've heard that. that from English friends of mine, where they're like, yeah, the NHS is free and that's cool. It also sucks real bad. <laughs> like I'm like, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so I don't know, like, if I would. I'd have to wait and I, I I don't think I could get away with it now. My dad is constantly reminding me of the fact that I live in America, so I should yeah. not be allowed to use anything oh, over wow. there. <laughs> now, do your kids automatically get English citizenship? Technically, yes. I have not done it yet, which you've just given me another nudge that I need to go yeah. get I recently filed for Irish citizenship, which I was allowed to do. And do you ever feel good knowing that should American democracy fall, your kids can flee to an embassy? Do you have you thought about this? <laughs> a lot. You would right? not. Have oh yeah. Yeah, a lot. That's actually the primary reason I wanted to uh, do that, just because I, I was like, I want them to have an option. I mean, it's not as great now now that Britain's out of the EU, but at the time, it was like then they can go anywhere they want in Europe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
I got my Irish citizenship before my son was born because if if he was born, if I waited, he would not be able to get it. Oh, yeah. I said to myself, okay, if he wants to ever study there or work there, it'll be much easier. And also, should my country descend into flames, he can flee much easier. Great. Yep, exactly. That's yeah. the, also the reason I have not yet taken the step to become an American citizen. Oh, you got one foot out the door. <laughs> You're still dipping your toes in things over here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I need to do it, but I just can't do it. I, I can use the excuse of uh, if I ever get to the high level again, um, I want to be able to run for Great Britain again, not America. Do, have you run on, have you represented your country before? Yeah. Oh, so I'm comp- I'm an idiot. I'm like a bonehead. <laughs> I should have done a cursory Google search. I'm going to search you after this. Well, no, thank God, because I wouldn't have spoken as freely or cavalierly. Have you run in the Olympics? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I the Commonwealth Games. Like, no, if the Olympics is like an A, the A level, I'd probably run it like the D level World Championships. Okay. Yes. Is the Commonwealth Games that strikes me as such a funny thing? It is. <laughs> like, let's get all these people that were colonial subjects together. I don't know how much longer that's going to go on, to be honest. I oh, can't yeah. wrap my brain around how that is not going to be ripped apart in the next few years. When the queen passes? Yeah. I'll be interested to see what happens when she... Yeah. I mean, people are saying that, like, the queen's going to pass. They're going to be like, all right, Charles, pack your bags. We're done with this. I'm starting to hear those rumors. <laughs> I, uh, he's going to have a tough time trying to rein everything back in. She's, she's pretty iconic, but he is not, yeah, not viewed that well. Yeah. <laughs> from my, from my experience, but yeah. Oh, I love it. Um, as much as I would literally love to do what I said to you before we started recording and talk for six hours, um, I, uh, need to go let my husband, uh, go to work. <laughs> yes. This makes total so, sense. Makes total sense. Um, Chris, I well, firstly, Chip, thank you, thank you, thank you for introducing me to this wonderful human being. I, Chris, it's been an honor and I've really just thoroughly enjoyed every second. So thank you so much. Um, appreciate you and all that you do. Likewise. And I'm going to go, uh, do the Google search I should have done. And I'm going to (laughs) immediately realize that I came off as an idiot and I was in over my head and I should have been far more reverent and respectful. And I do apologize for that. Thank you for being gracious and classy about it. You are wonderful. I'm sitting here going like, I heard the gay lid rap once. (laughs) Well, I'm British, so you can get away with that one. Do you know who Mo Farah is? Oh, of course. Yeah. There you go. See? Yeah. You know who he is. He's our, he's our, um, version so yeah, yeah. i know mofara obviously bolt all kinds of people what's bolt's first name is that just a cop out uh no uh, uh usain bolt okay Come on. <laughs> Come on. there you go you know the major players <laughs> all right I'm okay still- Before we end this episode, I just want to take a moment to shout out my podcast editor, Jeremy Nessel, who has done such a wonderful job of looking after my podcast, taking out all the mishaps in the episodes, while still keeping in the the vulnerability and the realness and the rawness of the conversation. This is not one of those podcasts where I take out the ums and the ers and the the sometimes the delay in, in words, because I think it's very important to keep that authenticity. We're surrounded by perfected and manicured 
everything and I think it's really important that running for real stays that way so thank you to Jeremy for your work I also want to thank Maria Vargas and Amber Moore who are also part of my team they've been a big part of this community and me being able to build this brand so just want to give them a shout out too all right let's get right back to the end of this episode I mean do you see what I'm saying that was a special conversation and had uh, my husband Steve not needed to get to work I honestly think we could have talked for double the time no problem even as we as I mentioned at the beginning we began that interview knowing basically nothing about each other and that was so fulfilling that conversation and as I mentioned at the beginning we will be we are talking about potential projects in the future so stay tuned for that if you are not already signed up to my newsletter you can go to runningforreal.com forward slash subscriber and you can go check it out there and also on that note have you checked out that running realized has a newsletter we are sending out emails with the calls to action with a kind of summary of what's going on in each episode and just some little extra nuggets or tidbits around the topic that we have found. So you can go to runningforreal.com forward slash news to sign up for that one. Or if you are a subscriber of the regular email newsletter, um, you can, there will be a little box for you to check um, in upcoming email newsletters. So you can go check that out and um, you will be able to go sign up there. I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors for this episode, which are Athletic Greens. You can get a one-year free supply of vitamin D3 and K2 by using code TINA. So go to athleticgreens.com forward slash TINA. It will take you right to the page, give you more information. You can go sign up there and get a few extra travel packs as well while you are at it. I also want to thank Koala Clip for sponsoring this episode. As I said, I've been using Koala Clip for many years now. I'm a huge fan of this company. Uh, Christina works really hard and I'm excited for the growth because it really is a fantastic product. I have many, many of them um, and have just loved using them over the years. So you can use code running for real with the number four running for real for code for 10% off your order at koalaclip.com. And also I want to thank Momentus. Go to livemomentus.com to go check out their products, get 20% off your order with code TINA. And I am a big fan. Recently, I've been really enjoying the brain drive, which is something I've been using to focus when I am trying to do work, but also focus within running. Um, It's a really great thing to be able to use um, if you are going into a race situation and you want to be able to focus on what you're doing. Uh, So you can check out brain drive there. I've also talked about many of the other products. You can check those out at livemomentous.com and use code Tina for 20% off. My friends, thank you so much for joining me today in this bonus episode. As I said, this was one of my favorites of all time. Uh, you Be sure to go follow Chris, find Chris on all the social media platforms. Great person to go follow. Maybe you could even call into Beautiful Anonymous at some time and we'll be able to hear you in the future. Although actually we wouldn't know it was you, would we? But we could. Uh, you can tell me your secret if you, if you do ever make it onto the show. If you want to, of course. Friends, I will see you on Friday for our regular scheduled episode. Thank you so much for joining me on this bonus episode. I'll see you then.